Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Rachel Forsyth, Senior Reporter at Hort Week. And this week I'm joined by Jake Catling, Director of the Landscaping Consultants and South Thames Chair and Board Director of Bali. Welcome, Jake. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. No, you're more than welcome. We're really, really excited to have you on today. What's been keeping you busy at the moment? We've got lots going on at the moment. Uh, Lots of projects uh, that are happening as well as our preparations for Chelsea flower show um yeah lots going on yeah and I'm, I'm actually going to start there because I'm really excited to hear how that's all going so you're doing the London Square Community Garden for James Smith how is the prep going how much can you actually prepare in advance yeah so we're doing that for for James Smith but we're also doing the Boodles Garden for Tom Hoblin so we've got oh sorry we've yes got of two, course. we've got two gardens to prep for so you know it's all going well there's the idea with Chelsea is that you, you need to do as much prep as you can ahead of time and get things prefabricated and and design how you're going to build things before you even get there so you can do it seamlessly. So, yeah, lots going on. We're prefabricating some stuff in-house mm. um, in our yard and we've also got lots of specialist craftsmen that are also preparing stuff also. Wow. Um, whether that's kitchens and tables and... Uh, you know bookshelves and swing seats and (laughs) lots of pergolas and yeah there's there's lots of people involved what is it that you guys are prefabricating yourselves so we're organizing all the stonework so for like the boodles garden we are doing we are, are, are cutting it and crafting all the stone ourselves and weathering it and I don't want to say too much because there's obviously some details that we're going to be going to be seen at the show, but we're, <laughs> we've got lots of little details that we're we're putting in. So we're kind of doing all the stonework ahead of time. Um, we're getting into he kind of like hand cutting stuff, you know, mechanically cutting stone as well, as well as using shop blasters and acid washing and other weathering techniques and just lots of different bits and pieces we can do to get the desired effect. 
Sounds quite fun. Yeah, it's quite creative. It's um, it's one of the things that's kind of touch and feel. There's some trial and error to it. Um, you've got to have a, a creative mindset when you go into these things to be able to, you know, create and formulate something that is slightly different, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody who hasn't seen the designs of those gardens, what can we expect from them? So with London Square um, Community Garden, it's split into two, two zones. One's kind of like a, a, a relaxed zone where you would... You know, go and read a book, you go and spend some time for yourself, you know, uh, the planting in there is quite, it's, it's softer, it's going to be more shade loving, um, that's going to be quite nice on that side. And then we've got the other section, which is definitely more geared up for the community meeting, where it's about, you know, sharing food and playing games, um, mm. there's some growing of, uh, you know, vegetables and stuff like that, that we're, we're going to be doing in there, preparing, you know, hopefully we can have a pizza oven. So it's going to be quite a nice sharing community of space um so that's that's the garden of two sides effectively yeah beautiful and what about the other one so on um on the boodles garden that's the the best the best of british is about british craftsmanship um obviously boodles being you know a, a british jeweler that's you know specialized in fine craft it's, it, itself and that's what the garden was supposed to kind of evoke as well so we're going to be doing all of the stonework ourselves so we're a craftsman on that we've got Cox London that are doing um, an amazing uh, arbor structure, which is just beautiful in itself. Um, we've got Bamba Wallace doing the the water feature, which is just you know, it's he always comes up with something amazing. So that's going to be quite different and very technical. Mm. Um, Rachel Chudley's doing all of um, a seating area underneath the arbor, and then we've got Tom and all his team obviously doing all the planting and everything else, and deep down supplying trees and. Caraway supplying plants, so there's it's a massive collaboration. Yeah, it really does take an army. A hundred percent. Like you can, there's absolutely no way you can do a Chelsea Flasher garden without amazing suppliers, an amazing designer, amazing contractor, and other specialists, and just everyone being massively invested and wanting to work together and looking for creative solutions to problems because there is always problems. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's going to be one of my questions in a second. But firstly. I think within the industry, we all kind of understand these projects and, and everything that goes into them. But do you think that that's publicised enough to the public? And when they're seeing these gardens, do you think there's enough understanding of what's sort of going into these incredible projects? Yeah, there probably isn't just purely because how can you understand it? Unless you know how to build something, mm. you know, how it's like an iceberg. How do you know how big it is under the water unless you go down there and have a look? You know, it's the same thing with a build. Like, yeah. how do you know how, how involved it is unless you've seen the behind the scenes? So I think some more behind the scenes filming would be great and publicising that because there's yeah. a lot of amazing people that don't get the recognition that you know they probably deserve. You know, and that goes for not just the suppliers and things. It's also planting teams. A lot of the planting teams are, you know, volunteers. Then they're not being paid. They're coming in. The, you know, they're they're. Yeah at the goodness of their, their heart and the and the the interest and the excitement that Chelsea brings. Yeah. It's hard. How can you cover that all in in a twelve hours of filming for the BBC? You know? It's very difficult, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But I do think there would be an audience for pe for behind the scenes. I think people would be interested to find out how these things come together. Oh definitely. There's a there's people the, the realistic I would say the most interesting part of it, obviously from my point of view, is is to build, you know, the nuts and bolts, how things are going together, how things yeah. are done, and, and the logistics, because it's a it's a tricky site to build at, but it's quite fun. 
Yeah, they almost need to make a documentary, don't they? So returning to some of those challenges, because, you know, even the best laid plans can go wrong. Do you anticipate any challenges for these gardens that you've got coming up? Well, building at Chelsea is a challenge in itself. That in it, it's just a, that's a fact. It's, yeah. a, it's a very tight, congested site. There's lots of restrictions of what you can and can't do to keep people safe and all that. So there's quite a lot to factor in, and the logistics is the biggest part. You need to do your pre-planning and make sure you've got all of your ducks in a row before you get on site. Mm. Projects we're doing this year are on the smaller side, so they're a little bit easier to control. Um, our water feature on Boodles is very complicated, so there's, you know, there could be some, a lot of yeah. tinkering time there. Uh, but I think the big thing across the show is going to be the additional bank holiday, <laughs> to be honest. We, we've got three bank holidays in May, three bank holiday weekends, and two of them are through building breakdown <laughs> uh, with the King's Coronation. That just makes, that puts an extra pressure on logistics for deliveries and getting things to and from site and people working and, oh. you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's, I would say, is yeah. quite a big challenge. Yeah, because every second you can get, really, don't you? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, deliveries and stuff over the weekend are generally a little bit harder anyway, and then you throw mm. a bank holiday weekend in where Monday's a little bit tricky, and then, obviously, the coronation's on the Saturday, so you've got to think the, Sunday, the Friday is going to be very busy in town. It's not like we're away from that. We're actually, we're in London, yeah. aren't we? So. Right in the centre, yeah. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges you've faced at Chelsea? You've been there quite a few years. Well, um, I'd say the, well, a big challenge was last year when we had to put the, the those huge trees that we put in for the Meta Garden, um, Grand Future with Joe Perkins. Oh, yes. You know, we're talking six and a half tonne, 12 metre tall trees. They're huge, take up a whole Arctic on their own. Um, you know, the specialist machinery we bring in for that, they were, they were challenging because... You can only reach so far with a certain weight on a certain machine. Mm. So then how you bring that in. So you've got to think about how we're going to put that tree in place and how we're going to take it out of place. And the whole rest of the garden's schedule is planned around that. Yeah. And then talking with the RHS and can we come in you know, and do this? Can we bring it in at that angle? Can we do that before that person comes in? Because we're trying to factor it in to be safe. So it's a huge amount. That was a huge challenge. Um, yeah. Exciting nerve-wracking but (laughs) with planning and some control and you 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 know you you keep it under control and that's the key and it paid off yeah it was great i loved that garden i have to say i love all the gardens we build but we lived with that garden for three years because of the uh postponement because of the pandemic stuff so it was was living in my my workshop for three years nearly um (laughs) so i feel i feel very connected to that garden (laughs) Yeah, you had time to really get to know it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and of course it isn't your first time at Chelsea. How many gardens have you built there now and over how many years? Uh, so at Chelsea, we've been there five years. Um, our first garden we built was 2015. Um, we've worked with other other contractors while we were doing some of these gardens as well as mm. collaborations. And we've done eight years at Hampton Court Flower Show as well before that. Yeah. So that Hampton Court was kind of our training ground, um, our proving ground, where we uh, we built lots of gardens since 2012. So we were there, for, we built every year from 2012 to, to 2019, which was when we built the Back to Nature Garden with the Duchess of Cambridge and um, Davis White for, for the RHS. So that was the last time we were at Hampton and uh, can't wait to get back there because we love building at Hampton. Yeah, so do you prefer Hampton? 
I don't prefer Hampton. I, uh, I don't prefer Chelsea either. I, I like them both. I love them both for different reasons. Chelsea is a yeah. massive challenge logistically and it really pushes you to be on, on form and, and deliver something amazing. And obviously, because it's Chelsea, there's, there's more, there is more budget available, which means the details can be higher. The, the materials are, are different. The pressure is bigger. But Hampton mm. is just such an amazing place to be as well. It's got more space. It's in the middle of summer. It feels like a summer camp for us as when we're building there. It's just <laughs> such good fun, you know. And the team on both are great. I was very lucky that we had Gemma Lake, um, who's show manager at Chelsea, was show manager of Hampton when we were when we were working there. Um, so we know Gemma very well. She's absolutely amazing, and obviously the rest of our team. And um, yeah, just to be honest, just building. I, I think all building any RHS show garden is is amazing. Show, but I do for us. Hampton and Chelsea are local, so that that's why we have that connection. And like you said, you're very familiar with Hampton Court, and and notably you built that back to nature garden at Hampton. How did it differ from the one at Chelsea? I know it was much, much bigger, but were there any other differences? Yeah, the scale is obviously the the key thing. It was a lot bigger. You know, we ended up, I think, 275 square metres, I think. So that's a big show garden, you know. Main Avenue show gardens at Chelsea are big and they're like 220. So it was a very big garden. Um, Main differences is obviously it had, because of the space, it it had a little bit more room to breathe. Um, mm. we had a different tree tree house in there. It was it was a smaller tree house um, because we, the other tree house was was very big and logistically traveling it down uh, down the highway was was not really feasible. So yeah, we had a different tree house. You know, the waterfall was slightly different. Um, we actually had a meadow to walk through, so it was just a little bit more open, a bit different. But it was all the same components. You know, all the stuff that come from Chelsea. You know, the Chelsea Garden was built by the Outdoor Room um, and they've done an amazing job there and, and they, they collected all of the materials up, obviously very neatly packed them all onto Arctic and sent them down to us for Hampton. Um, between that and some additional support from suppliers, you know, like CED from More Boulders and um, Linden for the Wildflower, you bring all that together. Um, and tend to care with the trees. You bring all of this together and we ended up making a, a much bigger garden because we had more space. Um, yeah. That's the, that's the beauty of Hampton, is Hampton's got the space. <laughs> so obviously every Chelsea garden now has to have a plan for an afterlife where it's going to go next. Where are these two gardens that you're building at Chelsea going on to? Yeah, so that's that's the thing, the rebuild, which is obviously, you know, it's, it's great to give these these gardens a new life. Um, we did it last year and it's, it's very, very nice to do. So our London Square Garden is going to um, a community called Doddington, uh, which is in London. And it's going to go on a, on a on, it used to be a car park. So it's going to be, it's like a, a, currently a community roof garden. Um we're surrounded by flats and everyone comes down and, and they and they use it as a place to, to socialise and, you know, do all the all of the bits and pieces that, that they want to do as a community, you know, not just working on their own, um, and have for their own like mental health and, and, and relaxing. They also do lots of other community fun engagement stuff. So we've kind of got the table going there because some of the people like using like playing chess and stuff like that. So 
that, the kitchen elements oh, and nice. yeah, we're just finalising elements of what's going to go in there because it's a podium. Um, there's only so much loading that can go on there, so there's quite a lot of calculations that need to go of in. Course. So the full extent of what will actually be rebuilt there is still open for discussion, just purely because the parameters and obviously it's 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 obviously owned by by the council too. So, but yes, yeah, so that's where that's going to go. So that's going to feed straight back into the community. Um, and they've had quite a big role in, in, in the, the feeling of the garden as it is. So um, we've been to Doddington and, and, and met people down there and listened to their stories. And it's not just, oh, come up with an idea, draw it on a bit of paper and let's get cracking. There's a lot that gets involved. These designers have, you know, inspiration and they're going out and talking to people and collecting, you know, stories. And all that feeds into how the design will work. And then once you've got the concept, you go and meet more people and, you go to different visit amazing places for more inspiration yeah so yeah our table is quite yeah the table we've got is going to be made of um terrazzo and the idea behind that is because it's made of all different materials come together it's different stones it's different bits of marble and it all gets brought together into one thing that is is beautiful and and you know it's the same thing about the community it's like all different people all coming together to make something beautiful and that's just kind of the beauty of nature and gardening and and the environment and things like that that we kind of really try and promote all the time yeah definitely i think you know that sense of i think maybe community is a word that's overused um it's people use it and they don't really you know there's nothing to back it up but realistically community is everything whether that's community as, as it, in the wider industry, in your own business, you know, in neighbourhoods, whatever, we are we are all one community and it's all moving together in different circles. So it's important to value that and value everyone around you. So this is what this garden's about. And you've really had so many career highlights and we've only really touched on the RHS shows and we'll, we can dive into some other projects in a sec, but... I'm really interested to know whether this industry is something you kind of always envisaged yourself getting into. How did you hear about it as a career option? Yeah, um, so well, I've been working in this industry for 20 years now. I, I call myself a career landscaper now. <laughs> I've, from the age of 14, I, was, I, I went to school four days a week and I went to work one day a week. So oh, wow. I mean, I, I've been landscaping since then. Um, and to be honest, I didn't know anything about it. I wanted to be a bricklayer. <laughs> my oh. granddad was a bricklayer. Um, and I, then I wanted to be a carpenter because my dad was a carpenter. I've always wanted to be a tradesman because I just love making and building things and yeah. being outside and doing stuff. But my dad was like, no, 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 no. Be a landscaper. Landscaping's the future. And he said that to me 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, gosh, he was ahead of his time. He knew. I know, yeah, so surprising. So he, he linked me up with a friend of his, and yeah, one day a week, um, from the age of 14 to 16, I went to work as a landscaper, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And then straight from that, I was like, went to college, done my apprenticeship, worked for, um, worked for another two companies. Um, and then at the age of yeah, 24, I, um, I decided to set my own business up. So it's our 10th anniversary this year. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so ten years of the landscaping consultants has been uh, has been running, and um, yeah, loved every minute of it. But yeah, I, so 
Landscaping has always been something I wanted to do. I absolutely, anyone that knows me knows how much I love this industry and how much I'm invested and, you know, I'll, how much I try to give back, uh, you know. Yeah. I try to be as valuable as I can and give and give back wherever as possible because, you know, you need to, you need to look after what you love. And um, if you just, if everyone just takes water from the well and doesn't look at how the water's getting to the well, yeah, it will run dry. And is that? Do you see that as kind of a key objective in your role at Barley? Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm a, I'm a new board member. I've been on the South Thames committee for a few years, and and this year I'm South Thames South Thames chairman. But I'm a new member to Barley Board this year. Um, there's an absolute wealth of knowledge on that board, so I feel very privileged to to be able to work with them people on there. And it's I'm I'm I wanted to go on the board because I wanted to be able to add value and do the most, give the most I could. And um, the Barley Academy is something that's very passionate. I'm very passionate about um, training and the skill shortage is a huge issue for us yeah. in this industry I think everyone knows that it's no secret um, so you know we were talking about this four or five years ago when Go Landscape came around and we were talking about what have, what would lead on from that and Bali Academy is, is the lead on from that and that's basically my mission with some okay. others <laughs> <laughs> to um, to, to hopefully you know bring it fully to fruition but it's no easy task it's no easy task. No, absolutely not. And I think we we'll probably talk about this on every podcast because it is such a big issue, the skill shortage. And it sounds like you have seen the effects. Have you felt the effects yourself as a business owner? Oh, yeah, 100%. I don't think anyone in this industry can say they haven't felt the effect of the skill shortage um, and lack of labour. Um, mm. It is very difficult. I think there's many, many businesses, ourselves included, who could be probably at a, a greater scale be bigger than they are um take on more work um and deliver it to the standard that we all want to deliver it if we had more available staff um so it is a limiting factor for us all um it really is it's a it it caps you and yeah. what you're able to do because you can try to take you can take on lots of work and say yes to everything and you can try and get shirt fillers to, to fill the gap while you try to make it work but you're not doing anyone any any favours and you're going to if you do that you're, you're most likely going to be delivering a bad quality service and, and finish it to the garden so yeah anyone that is really is all about quality and service they're limited because they can only get the people they can get yeah and how do you go about filling those gaps or finding and attracting talent have you had any success in that area? Yeah, we've had some. We've had some great success. Um, you know, we are still always looking for people mm. every every day. Like everyone, we we are looking. We're always actively recruiting um, for for the right people. Yeah. We can always have more people. But what we do is we focus on. We don't necessarily focus on skill set. Um, I know this probably sounds odd, but the the training isn't there. In the, in, in the colleges and in the courses yeah. to expect people to come out with the, the, the fully adequate skill set. So the key thing is we're looking for the right mentality. Yes. We're looking for someone who is, you know, is a positive person that likes to work outside, that likes to work as part of a team, who's, who's about trying to find solutions and, and 
correcting issues and, and not dwelling on the negative aspects of things. Um, if you get people that are you know attentive and people that have got a level of precision in whatever they do, it might be just the way they look after themselves, the way they look after their kit, yeah. the way they look after their vehicles. Just we're looking for high performance individuals, mm. um, and high performance means many different things. So we're looking for someone a high high performance individuals, and we can then take that person and give them the skill set because they will take that training on that we would give in-house and how they look what they learn on site they would take it in um, a lot better and they would move on a lot quicker yeah and I've heard some people say they actually prefer that they get to train them in their way um, in some instances yeah definitely uh, you know it does take a lot longer but yeah you need that you need the creativity as well you need someone to you don't need all people to be creative like this is a creative industry but it's not solely for creative people there's a yeah. massive amount of this that is there is there is an analytical part of what goes on, um, you know, reading and working off, you know, construction drawings and working to schedules, and, you know, health and safety. There's a massive call for people with that yeah. you know, analytical mindset that you know why to do things like that. But then there's a huge call for the creative part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Know? There really is a role for absolutely everybody in this industry. I think. Because 24 is actually quite young to start your own business and kind of go out there on your own. Was it daunting when you started out? Yes, and exciting. Everyone that I spoke to said, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it, Jake. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> really? And um, I was like, I think I was very confident in my skill set. You know, I, I've been doing it for a long time. By the time I got to 24, that was 10 years. Two years of that was obviously part-time. Yeah, so I done eight years full-time. And I was, I was working to a high standard when I was working for these other companies. We built principal award-winning gardens for Bali. You know, we built RHS flower gardens as well. So I'd worked to a high standard in a small company, in a small team, but yeah. to a high standard. So I was confident that, you know, I could, I could move this forward. Yeah, and did you, did you go for any business training or anything like that? Obviously, you had the skill set, but launching your own business and knowing what to do on that side of things... I feel like it can be a minefield. It is, yeah. So I, I didn't go on any business courses, no, but I love business studies at school. I thought I was very good at it. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I, I, when, I was, when I was at school, yeah, business studies was one of my favourite things. I didn't, I didn't get a good uh, GCSE in it because it was all, it was all it was writing essays and I, I you know, it's hope that people know I'm dyslexic. Uh, I don't use it as an excuse, okay. but it's, it's something that means it makes it, I have to fight harder to do that side of things. So when I um, started doing my own business, I had my own ideas of how I wanted to do things. Um, and then I was very you know, fortunate to, to join Barney. Um, and then from there, managed to talk to people that were in the membership of Barney who basically mentored me to help me move me forward. So I, I, yeah, I like to think I've got some business acumen and you know, a good, good gut feelings about things, but... You know, that's also been underpinned people like David Dodd, who really helped me massively um, in the business, Brian Herbert um, and Sam Hassel. These are these are three people that have uh, massively helped me on, on my, you know, beginning of my journey. Um, so that's another reason why I'm probably very passionate about Bali as well, um, because yeah. the community of people that, that really try to help me it makes me it reinforces the fact that I just want to help people as well 
So that's what Bali's about. Yeah. Supporting and looking after each other. Absolutely. I think that's one of my favourite things about this industry is I've never come across an industry that is so sharing um, before. Yeah, well, we all share. Everyone's all willing to share information and time for free. Mm. Um, I think that's the thing. Like, maybe it it is good, but maybe there's an element of it that's it's, it's bad. We all we don't. Maybe that's what, means we don't value ourselves enough. Um, mm. You know, because you wouldn't talk to um, you wouldn't talk to a, a lawyer, or, you know, or any sort of other consultant without them, you know, putting you on the clock or your accountant. Yeah. So. Um, but we're all willing to do it for nothing, which is great to share information to make it better. But it may be, yeah, maybe it means that we don't value our time as much as we should do. So that might change as things move forward. Yeah, I think. people do um, have that argument and a lot of people uh, try and persuade, you know, garden designers or landscapers, especially when it comes to clients, to charge for that initial consultation, you know. We don't charge, so, you know, if we're doing any, we have to do free quotations like everyone else does, mm. which is a huge... You know, it's, that's, a, that's a large sum of money throughout a year. Um, you know, you could be on a, doing a, a quotation on a project for... You spread it over a number of weeks as you're collecting information, but if you did it in one go, you know, you could be talking four days, yeah. four man days, you know, to do that. It's quite a lot of money, isn't it, for if it's a project you don't win? Absolutely, yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, it, it's difficult, but we're, I think we're, we're way too far past the point where you could charge for doing quotations and estimates but i think you know design consultations yeah the, the clients need to pay for these up front because they're consultants and it kind of sets the precedent of actually this is a service this is an industry that has a value yeah um and so i think if you do give free you know consultations where you actually give i'm not talking about meeting a client but if you're actually giving information away yeah you're probably not doing yourself or the industry any favours you know you want to have that, that that chargeable part of it just so that you can really value the service they're going to get so RHS shows aside what have been some of your favourite projects or you know other career highlights that you've you've had over the years when we when we become Barley members, that was a massive deal for us. Two years into running the business, that was something I set out to do from the word go. I was like, I worked for a Barley registered company beforehand. I knew the quality, I knew all of that. So I was like, right, I want to do it. So when we got that, it was like a nice, that was a milestone. We were so pleased. And then when we managed to get our Barley Principal Award, we put a, a garden in for the the national awards. Yeah. And um couldn't believe it that we it, it won you know it won principal and that was a massive that I was in tears anyone saw me on the day I was oh. in tears about that that was a big thing um, yeah obviously and obviously the shows throughout things are great but it's just it is the everyday projects as well mm. you know we do some really we you know we do some really cool stuff the everyday projects exciting I like the innovation yeah. in our business we bring in machinery from you know from from America we were some of the first people to bring in the certain machines that we have what um, machines are those they're like mini skid steers there's a few people that have them now um mm. and they we use we've got like multiple different attachments on them buckets forks nursery forks you know saw cultivators you know they're just they're mm-hmm. made for landscaping mm. that's what they are so we was just trying to get so i looked at look i always look at things and go we're using diggers and dumpers for everything. Why? Because that's what we've always known. I was like, there has to be something better 
than just using digging the dumpers for absolutely every part. Some parts you have to. Yeah. Um, and that's where we come up with using this because it, it reduces the shovel work. And that's what you're always mm. trying to do. Work smarter, not harder. We try to look after the people that, that work here. And because bearing in mind, I was on the tools. Yeah. Well, I was trying to look after myself as well in the first <laughs> place. I was like, I don't want to keep shoveling and running. Because a lot of what we do in landscaping is moving materials and digging. Let's yeah. be honest. There's an amazing amount of you know, detail and craftsmanship. But there's also a huge amount of, uh, of material to shift. And yeah. there's no getting away from that. Um, so, yeah, just trying to find machines that, that close the gap between using the big excavators and dumpers and the shovel. It's trying to narrow the gap so that you spend less time having to use the shovel and the rakes. Um, no, everyone's happy about that. So, yeah, bringing yeah. in innovation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we don't you know, we'll look after people, don't we? Um, so that with like, you know, we're trying to bring in things like digital construction into our, into, it's massive, digital construction is massive in construction. Um, okay. It's coming more and more. It's it's obviously more prevalent in America and um, and places like that. It's obviously coming more over here with BIM modeling. The designers and architects are starting to do more BIM modeling because um, it's it's now going to become the standard in construction, and it, it will feed into landscaping as architects are requesting that to happen to mm. to fill it fit in with what they're doing. But then, if you're going to do BIM modeling, you need to start doing digital construction. So that means like digitally laying out your gardens. You know, yeah. and using GPS um, equipment in machinery and stuff like that, so you can actually get things very precise yeah. and it's auditable as well. So it's expensive to do, um, <laughs> and we're only a small residential company, really. But we do, we, you know, we 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 like to bring in what we can as we can, and so yeah, we we digitally lay out all of our projects. Amazing, and you said that makes it really accurate. Is there any other benefits to? Um, yeah, it makes it really accurate. It obviously makes it a lot faster. We can we can do all the layout with one person rather than needing to use a few different people. You know, the margin yeah. of error, the to, you know, the tolerance is so tight. But it's also replicatable. We can constantly keep laying it back out if we need to really quickly. But it's not just about mm-hmm. just laying out. We can collect information from site as well. And um, yeah, so I think the highlights for me for the business are that being able to weave innovation into into the business as we as we yeah. move things forward you know like everyone's very much talking about mental health first aid and stuff like that which is a big 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 thing that we all need to be, be mindful of which you know we do here but we also we also look at performance coaching as well it's, we, we do mental okay. aid first aid but also performance coaching for our staff so what does that involve it involves um you know mind, uh, goal setting and mindset sessions um oh, okay. we have a performance coach and just to sit there and how do you, you know, I talked about earlier on about being high performance. We want mm. to be high performance. We want people to be high performance. And that high performance doesn't mean robots. It doesn't mean, you yeah. know, there's no feeling. There's a massive amount of feeling creativity, but you can be a creative, you can be a high performance creative person. Um, and so this is giving us the tool sets to be able to do that. So how, how, how can we look at, you know, leadership in a different way? How can we look at, you know, goal setting in a different way? You know, our task management you know, how we can deal with people, how we can deal with ourselves, our time management, also our personal lives as well. Like, how can we, you know, get more from our personal lives so that we actually can give more in our work lives? Oh, nice, nice. Well, my final question for you, um, and we, it's one we ask every guest, we've had a lot of different responses to this one, um, it is, what plant would you take to a desert island? Is anything jumping out at you that you would take? I'm very practical, so I'm going to say I'm going to take a coconut tree, but it might already be there. 
I guess there's only way one, one way to find out. That's it. But if it is there, then I'm going to take some rosemary because I'm, and I can cook with it. <laughs> nice. So yeah. That's it. Practical reasons, you know. I like eating and I like having it. <laughs> I like eating and drinking. So that's it. I can eat coconuts, drink coconuts. I can use them to make my make my shelter. You know. So I'm thinking the coconut yeah. tree's got to be the one. But if it's already there, then you know I'm going to take something to to spot uh, you know. Garnish. To garnish yeah. with. I can do it. I can do my G and T's with it. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can have the G and T in the coconut shell. This is working all around now, isn't it? <laughs> if you live in the high life. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been really interesting to find out a bit more about your career over the years and kind of all the different ins and outs um, and challenges you're facing. I'm Rachel Forsyth and this has been the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. If you are interested in producing a podcast with Hort Week, email us at hortweek at haymarket.com. Huge thank you again to Jake and goodbye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.